Welcome on back in the Sling Sports Podcast. Your host, Jake Finnerty, your co-host, Wally McKeon. Wally, first episode of April. How are we doing today? We're doing very well. Uh, I don't want to jump right into the highlight of the week, but I think both of us might have the same highlight of the week. Um, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to ask him and get into it. The Mario movie comes out today, April 5th, um, and we have got a large, large crowd going to it this evening. Oh, yeah. It's going to be it's gonna be a blast. Um, big Mario fans here. Big Mario fans. Obviously, how could you not love Mario? Nintendo Wii days, all the way back to the Nintendo DS days, back to Nintendo 64. Everyone's got a connection to Mario, one of the biggest uh, icons in the world, actually. Yeah. Uh, most recognizable people, most recognizable logos. Um so I'm excited for tonight. And best of all, I'll be going as Luigi. Not to spoil <laughs> anything, but I've got a Luigi hat, and the, I'm going to the, sharp- gre- the green shirt? Yep, I'm going to Sharpie on a mustache under my side that's, as well. That's what I like to hear. Really I, forward to I have a red sweatshirt. Should I throw that on? As, for, to for be some, Mario? For, I, I mean, I don't want to be Mario. I, I figured I got your roommate bu- I got Ryan is, is being Mario. Be Mario. But I could, I could throw on the red sweatshirt in, in commemoration. In you know what I mean? Yeah, show your um, support. Well, with that being said, why not just jump right back into the sports now? You know, we went through that very quickly, but got got right to it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, we're going to get into the speedy slings, of course, to start out. We have LSU winning the Women's NCAA Tournament against Iowa. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because last week I said, and a lot of people said this, that the Iowa-South Carolina game should have been the championship. And everyone wrote off LSU in the Virginia Tech game. And then LSU ends up winning it. Angel Reese was definitely the storyline for LSU. Dropped 15, 10, and 5, and 3 in the national championship and got a lot of attention on Twitter for the you can't see me and the ring me towards Caitlin Clark. Um, what's awesome to me, though, is that Caitlin Clark was totally supportive of this after the game, saying that she was like happy that Angel Reese did it, helping grow the game of basketball and in the world of woman, I'm a fan. Yeah, and honestly, um, I do agree with that statement that Caitlin put out, um, everything that everyone was saying, especially Angel Reese having a lot to say after the game, you know, how people were writing her off, writing yeah. storylines about her, how, you know, girls like her or people like her, they're, they're, they're hood, they're thugs, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. Um, I thought that was a very redeeming day for her, uh, being able to see what she did and yeah. I really enjoyed what she did, and Caitlin Clark obviously knows the competitive aspect of the game, and yeah. Clark herself has, you know, made an impact at Iowa and everything that she's done this season. Um, but I think Reese deserves just as much appreciation for what she did in L- at LSU t- this year. Yeah, and I have one more thing to say about Caitlin Clark, not to always make everything about yeah. her, because there are so many other talented women in the world of uh, basketball. But I just want to say... Regarding Caitlin Clark being a competitor, just human beings here, the fact that she does the you can't see me throughout the tournament, she has this this cockiness to her, this confidence, not even cockiness, just confidence. And then when she loses, she's so polite about it and she's respectful because we see athletes, not just not women, not men, just athletes, period, who will try and be on top of the world. Things don't go their way and then they go silent and then they try and they act out a little bit. This yeah. happens occasionally. Um, I mean, we saw it after the Super Bowl this year, especially exactly. uh, with, with both the Eagles and the Chiefs yes. um, and Juju Smith-Schuster and everything involved mm-hmm. around him. So I just have uh, a lot of respect for Caitlin Clark. Yeah, um, as do I. I think and everyone does. And Angel Reese, both yeah, of them. Yeah, and uh, you know, going forward, both of those women, I think, have a very bright future ahead of them. Big time. Uh, going into what's happening this week now, this weekend, we've got Masters Week. Hinted at it last week. First major of the year in the PGA in golf. Um, who's winning, Wally? I want to know your. I want to know your choice. 
You want you want to do mine first? Yeah, we'll go. Okay. Well, okay, we'll go with yours first as a, as like an unexperienced golfer. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> now I I've heard of a couple of golfers. I I know Tiger Woods. I know Brooks Kepka. Do you I know, know Phil Mickelson? I know Phil Mickelson. Yeah. I know Bubba Watson. I know some people. I do. I can probably name ten golfers if it really matters. I'm not picking one of those ten people <laughs> that I do know, and I am picking a kid named Gordon Sargent. He's at uh, 400 to 1 odds, I believe, right now. Um, and he is a 19-year-old sophomore. He's at, an amateur. At Vanderbilt yeah. University. He he is the leading amateur going into this tournament. Well, he just dropped down to number two. Actually, oh, okay, right okay. I was going to say he was one. He swapped from yeah. one down to two, but up until, like, might have been today, honestly. Yeah. He dropped down to number two. Either way, um, he is undeclared in school. He does not even have a major, and he is going to be competing in the Masters. Um, I just think it's awesome. He uh, is number two amateur in the world. He's placed top ten in every tournament this spring. Um, I just think it's awesome. Nineteen year old, the concept of him competing, enjoy it. I'm a twenty year old in college. Gordon and, Sargent, I've, you, you've got you've got my res, uh, support and respect. Well, there are a lot. Of, uh, obviously, getting invited to the Masters as an amateur is absolutely amazing. It's yeah. got to be an amazing experience just being there, whether you're a golfer. Um, you know, a spectator, a journalist, anyone there. Mm-hmm. It's it's a one of a like once in a lifetime experience yeah. if you're able to ever go. Um, but I mean, I'd love to see him show out and, and get the win. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a he's a fantastic golfer. I've seen a lot of his highlights and, and such. Um, and a lot of those college guys coming in, especially like, I don't want to like take it back, but uh, when Spieth was at Texas and everything coming mm-hmm. in his his first season, obviously he wasn't. He was an amateur, but uh, he exciting to watch. And it's always exciting to watch those those yeah. young guys get their first shot. <laughs> um, but I will go into the man I just named as my pick, Jordan Spieth. Uh, I mentioned this two weeks ago, um, but a lot of people have have hopped on the wagon since. Although you know, I like to say I'm first. However, I am just a Jordan Spieth fan, so I do have a little bias here. I'm picking Jordan Spieth to win the Masters. Uh, two weeks ago, at uh, the um, what was it? It was the Valspar uh, placing fourth, almost winning the tournament, uh, bogeying on the last last hole, uh, and you know just missing out. At finished third. I'm um, at minus eight. I think he gets the win this week. He has won on Easter Sunday, like I said, the past two years. The only two tournaments he's won in the past two years. I think he wins his third in three years on Easter Sunday. It's a magical day for him. Um, I will say the the two years is a rather small sample size. Uh, I do not think. That the phrase correlation does not equal causation is stupid to me, but two years is a small sample size. I also think Jordan Spieth is a good pick, though, because I know who he is. <laughs> one, one, once is a win, twice is a coincidence, three times is a trend. That's what I like to say. Uh, now we're going to move into the uh, NCAA men's tournament, and of course, UConn cutting down the nets at the end of the year on Monday night. Yeah, they're the first team to win every single one of their games by double digits since Villanova in 2018. And had this team not endured a five and, or one and five stretch, my mistake, um, after starting 14 and 0, no one would have doubted them going into the tournament. And even so, as a four seed, they should have been a three most definitely. Um, but going in, like people doubted them obviously. But if they didn't have that one and five stretch, they could have easily been the favorite. And so many people still pick them. I mean, so. we talked about the just straight up grittiness of the West, uh, you know, side of the bracket, that entire region, um, that region, and all four. You know, of those Kansas being being the one there, Gonzaga, UCLA, yeah. and UConn. 
any one of those teams that came out of there easily could have had a shot, and UConn managed to be the team Mm -hmm. to do it, and they were so dominant offensively in this tournament that, honestly, it's kind of wild that the entire time it was kind of going under the radar. You know what I mean? Like, nobody really talked about UConn going into the Final Four, even. Nobody paid attention to them, and I, like, we compared them, um, and I think even, like, after the first weekend, we compared Alabama Mm -hmm. to that Villanova team in 2018. That team, nobody paid attention to them. They just went through, beat everyone by double digits. 2018, everyone was focusing on the Loyola-Chicago 11-seed run, and all of these upsets going around with UConn, and there's two five-seeds and a nine-seed in the Final Four, and then there's just UConn chugging along right through it. And what's more insane and borderline scary for the rest of college basketball, they're not going anywhere, and they might even be better next year. They've got a five-star named Stephen Castle coming in, as well as three four-stars, not to mention Donovan Klingon, who, if he wanted to, could probably declare for the NBA draft after being a bench player and really not getting major minutes until the second half of the season. He's going to be the focal point on the defensive side of the ball, and he's going to grow offensively next year. This UConn team, just the beginning. They are absolutely loaded. Yeah, it's going to be very scary going forward if you're in the Big East, for sure, especially with a Villanova team that struggled this past year. But started to turn um, it on the yeah, second half did, of the season. Yeah, it did start to pick it back up, but, um, you know, St. John's bringing in Rick Petito, having a full restart almost um, with Posh Alexander transferring as well. Um, Marquette. The, yeah, Marquette, a team that we saw as a two-seed. Creighton. Creighton's yeah. going to be better if they were healthy this entire year. Biggie, they could have been top and three, four, bi- top four seed. Big East basketball, is it back? Yeah, it's definitely back. All right. Dare I say it. Uh, one final headline that I threw in here, us as Syracuse men, uh, you know, Jesse Edwards announcing his return to the Syracuse Orange this year. Yeah, it's his fifth year, and uh, nice. I'm happy to I mean, not miss out on him. He's a good big man, one of the better ones in the ACC. I don't know what to expect from Syracuse basketball next year, though. So. Um, it looked like a, a full a full refresh on the, the starting lineup, especially if we see Judah Mintz come back You know, yeah. following the NBA draft. We'll have two, two very solid guards in Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling having a veteran big man down mm-hmm. there in the paint. And, it's always good. You know, we'll have a couple, we'll have a couple new faces on, on this team. Yeah, I'd also like to add one more thing as we not necessarily part ways with college basketball. Cause it'll, just for a it'll little always, while. It'll always be around. It's, not a, it's not a goodbye. It's just a see you later. But there's nothing major. But to close things out, I just want to throw this out there as we head into the offseason for all you basketball fanatics out there. This is something that I've been saying for quite some time now, and I wanna wanna put it out there publicly. Free throws in basketball do not matter. And I'm gonna explain to you why they do not matter. You Miami in the final four against UConn missed 14 layups in that game. 14! You can practice your layups. You go in there, you practice them, you can practice some defense on you. That is something you can control. You can make a layup. Like that is entirely on you. Free throws. You have to be fouled to get there. You need the other team to buy into you to get there. Not to mention, you're going to make 50% from the line regardless. Like, dare I say it, any D1 guard can make 50% without practicing. If you and I, we go to the Barnes Center at the Arc right now and shoot free throws, we're going to make 4 out of 10, if not 5 out of 10. Automatically. They are not that insanely difficult. I think I can make 8 out of 10. Exactly. (laughs) And, not to mention, even if you miss your free throws... Practice offensive rebounding. We saw it in the round of 32, Arkansas-Kansas. The entire reason that Kansas lost that game was not because they missed a free throw in like the last 15 seconds, but was because they didn't get a rebound. Or Arkansas, my mistake. They missed the free throw, got an offensive rebound, pushed the game to three points. That is the reason why they won that game. Did not have to do with the free throws. 
I just want to say that when I am a basketball coach and I'm 35 years old and I'm coaching my 10-year-old children, we are not practicing free throws. We're going to get one hour at the YMCA and I am not wasting that time on free throws. I think they're stupid. I think they're irrelevant. They do not win you games. And you can look at every national champion. There is no consistency. There have, national, there have been national champions in the last 20 years who rank in the 300s free throw percentage-wise. They don't mean anything. And I don't care if anyone says, oh, they're great with free throws down the, down the, when, in the clutch. I don't care. It's irrelevant. Villanova. Villanova is a good free throw shooting team in 2016 and 18. None of the other ones. There's no consistency. They mean nothing. All right. I just want to say that. You heard the Think man. Think about free throws moving you, forward. You heard the man. Bold take there, I think. I hate them. They're stupid. We're going to move We're going to move to the first week of the MLB. Um I mean, I I I really don't want to talk about this team, but I'm just happy I could come on here and have a Philly team that is not 0 and 6. They're 1 and 5 instead. Yeah, it's not much <laughs> better. And uh I think they they got one win over the Yankees yesterday or at the time of recording yesterday, a 4-1 game. Um, and you can thank the Yankees for putting uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Josh Donaldson, and Aaron Hicks in the same lineup. That is what the Yankees used to be called murderer's row. That's murderer's row for yourself. You're killing your own team by doing that. And that lineup can handle one of those three, and Josh Hamstring, or Josh Hamstring, Josh <laughs> Donaldson pulled his hamstring today, and he might miss some time. And I like to be a nice guy. I don't want anyone to be injured, but that's going to benefit the Yankees not having Donaldson in the lineup. Um, as for the Yankees, though, four and two to start. Pitching's been great, and they've even dealt with injuries in the starting rotation. Just don't put IKF, Donaldson, and Aaron Hicks all in the same lineup, please. That's my only request. Uh, one thing to say about the Phillies, of course, um, like you said, I mean that game, having three of the three of the worst people on on your lineup in there. I do want to say JT Realmuto also did not play in that game though that they won. So, you know, we were without one of our stars. Yeah, but you did not <laughs> um, have three boneheads <laughs> playing in the lineup. But uh yeah, I mean I, I love Garrett Stubbs, but uh <laughs> no our our pitching quite quite, quite literally awful. Mm-hmm. Um they gave up 37 runs in their first four games. Yeah. Or first five games. It was the worst start it's the third worst start that they've had um, ever in franchise history in the first two years. Yeah. You know, with more runs that they've allowed in those That's first bad. five games, both in the 1800s. The first being <laughs> the first being 1883, That's the year that they were instituted, and the second being in the 1890s. That's insane. Um, it's pretty awful, especially when you're supposed to have two guys that are considered aces, having Zach Eflin and. Uh, Aaron Nola. I also want to say, I don't know how you give up nine runs in one inning uh, on, on opening day. day. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Uh, and also giving up 10-plus runs to the Rangers in back-to-back games is yeah. terrible as well. It's not a good team. Um, they're not playing consistently right now. They're certainly not the Phillies we've seen uh, that finished out last year. Um, obviously, I don't I don't expect them to keep, this, keep up this pace. I expect them <laughs> to turn it around. Uh, but they're in need of a lot of help right now. They're going home for the first time tomorrow against the Reds, which should be, hopefully, knocking on wood here, a solid series. Uh, Manny Machado falling victim to the first pitch clock strikeout and then also getting thrown out of the game. (laughs) And I figured that this would happen to a veteran, and I'm a little bit surprised that it hasn't happened more, honestly, to veterans, guys that have been in the league for five 10 years and then obviously you're doing this in the minors as well um 
This is the new normal, though. This is something that's going to happen, and I think it's only going to happen in the beginning of the season, though. It's it's something they're going to have to get used to. Um, I was talking with my roommate last my roommates last night about the pitch clock, and again, me being a, a long time diehard fan, I'm still not really a fan of it fully. Mm-hmm. Um, if they gave them a little bit more time, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But I think it is quite quick, um, which we'll get into with the next uh, segment here. But um, also, I don't like the two the two throw over rule. Um, the mo- this year we've had the most stolen bases ever on opening day. Yeah. Um, it is way too easy to steal a base now if you throw over twice and you have a guy like Ronald Acuna on first base. There's no doubt in his mind that he's going to take off. Same with Trey Turner if he's supposed to be on base and other sp- speedsters around the league. Um, I don't like that. Uh, I don't like. I mean, Manny Machado was asking for a timeout, quote unquote. Uh, I I also only saw the clip of him getting mad. I didn't see the clip of the strikeout, uh, but I don't know. It's very it's very interesting. It is going to be a learning experience for these veterans, um, and it's even some of those younger guys coming up still. But as 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 a guy my myself that's watched baseball since I was young, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I don't really mind the pitch clock aspect. I do think that the stolen base thing is a little bit problematic. And through the first 50 games of this season, runners were 70 of 84 on stolen bases, yeah. which is an 83.3% success rate, which was up from 67.4. That's a huge increase of 16%. Um, I'm not really a big fan of that. I think that more runs for baseball is fun in theory, but I also think dominant pitching is also good for the game of baseball. Well, that takes me to the next point. Sandy Alcantara, who I also said is going to be one of the most dominant pitchers come the next five years, threw a complete game shutout yesterday, and it took under two hours. Yeah, and that's fast, fast. And this year compared to last year through the first 50 games as well, things are about 30 minutes shorter. So things are going way faster, which I guess is nice in theory. I don't really mind it. I also didn't have an issue with games taking three hours. That's what makes baseball beautiful. There's no clock. But an hour fifty-seven. At that point, I just feel bad for the fans that paid that money paid to go to, to the go game. See him pitch. Because then, if you're a fan and you get to go to an extra innings game, those games are going to be four hours, and you get stuck with an hour fifty-seven minutes. Well, That's a college basketball game. Also, if you go back and you look at the average time for an NFL game compared to the average time for an MLB game before the pitch clock, yeah, they were about ten or fifteen minutes off. Yeah. With the MLB being 10 or 15 hours. minutes longer. It'll take three hours. So I don't understand the issue with an MLB game being aired on TV for that long, besides the fact of the you know argument that there's not enough action yeah. happening. Well, if you're a diehard fan and you're going to enjoy the game, you could sit down and enjoy watching a baseball game. Yeah. And the, the concept of the no action, and obviously statistics show the ball is only in play for a very small percentage of the actual game, but you look at the NFL, and it's 60 minutes of game time, but the actual, in real in the real world, it takes three hours. But of those 60 minutes, there's only a play going on for, what, 10 to 15 minutes of it? It's plenty of standing around. I mean, Percentage-wise, are... it's not quite at the MLB level. But it's still a lot of standing around. But there's a, uh, and again, there's a, there's 45 seconds in between each play. Argue, the, I mean, depending on where they're starting from, yeah. like the the play clock and everything like that. But you have all that time in between mm-hmm. where they're you know huddled up deciding the play, this and that, and 
like you know substitutions there's 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 a lot like i don't i don't understand the art i mean i do understand the argument per se from a person that had never like gotten into baseball but being someone that i have watched baseball my entire life i don't think there needed to be this big of this drastic of a change i don't think i don't think time was the issue like the concept of why baseball is dying I don't think a pitch clock is the solution. And we're going to keep talking about and that, you know, as well the baseball world. You know what I think the solution is? Just allow steroids again. Yeah. <laughs> Bring them back. <laughs> um, well, we're going to go to the final remaining undefeated team. That is a team that you had, had, had said you didn't like. Correct. That's the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and they're 6-0. and And it also helps when you get to play the Detroit Tigers yeah. and Washington Nationals through your first six games. But... It's hard to win six games in a row, no matter who you're playing. It's legit. It is. I mean, they're a very good team. I'm not as high on them compared to years past, but they're going to finish above 500, certainly. Yeah, and uh, Randy Rosarena, was it today or yesterday, just missed a home run and started doing push-ups on the base path. Mm -hmm. Um, I like Randy. He's He's a character. Yeah, he's a good good guy to watch if you want to get into some exciting baseball. I only hate um, him because of but, the 2020 playoffs, yeah, but yeah. I'm a Yankee fan. So, um, But no, Tampa Bay, a very exciting team to watch right now. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, pretty easy schedule for the fir- through the first six games, but um, we'll see where they can go from there. Yeah, We've got the NHL, and we are coming down to the wire, folks. We've got five games left, six games left, depending on what team, team you have. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, And Boston, still very much in play, and honestly... I'd be shocked at this point if they don't get that regular season point record. Yeah, they've got five games to get eight points, and they would be the record by one point on the nose. Um, for them to go 4-1-0, and that is normal. I would be surprised. Yeah. As you said, it would be weird if they did not finish 4-1-0. and um, And they're already only the fourth team ever to win 60 or more games in the regular season in the NHL. Yeah, um, historic season from them. Again, like, even, like, we, we had Boston in our – an NHL prediction before the season started, but nobody expected them to be like this. Yeah, not at all. I don't even think I put them in the playoffs. I don't think I had them in. I thought. I, I think I had them as a wild card. I might have had them as a wild card. I didn't have them winning certainly. I know I had Columbus yeah. as a wild card. That was a waste of a pick. Yeah. Well, I had <laughs> I had Vancouver on the West. So, <laughs> well, they. I mean, Vancouver was only a game out last year, but um, it's hard to uh, know. Yeah. With the NHL. We've got our SSP Cup tonight. Yeah. Uh, Rangers take on the Lightning in the Garden. Can the Lightning play spoiler to New York's potential run at a higher seed? You know, one, this might be the last time, uh, very high chance is the last time that these two teams play yeah. against each other. Um, not to discredit either of them, really. Both are going to have a difficult path to the Eastern Conference Final. But as for the spoiling thing, I think both of these teams are just content with where they are. And I think if you're the Rangers and Gerard Gallant coaching them, like if you get up to the two spot in your division and you get to host the home game, home round against New Jersey, that's dope. But you don't need to force anything. Well, again, we also talked about the New Jersey, New York thing where it was a 15 minute train ride. Doesn't really make a difference. There is no difference. And I mean, honestly, the the Rangers presence would probably be a lot more than. Yeah. And the Devils' presence, regardless of where they're yeah, playing, it's because it's a larger fan base. Yeah, it's, it, there's you know a wide, wider condensed uh, you know population of Rangers fans in the area. Um, but I, I mean, tonight, like you said, I think they're content with where they're at. The Lightning, honestly, I mean, very happy to be at that three spot because mm-hmm. they were 
you know, spiraling, spiraling out of control for a while. Um, again, it's always great to see uh, the the match off, uh, the face off against, uh, you know, the Lightning and the Rangers, especially here. Yeah. You know, watching that playoff series last year, but I really don't know if I uh, if I see the Lightning doing it tonight, especially not at the Garden, um, and especially not if Brian Dable's there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't think it really means anything for either team. And the Rangers aren't rushing back Ryan Lindgren. If it was a playoff game, yeah. he'd be rushed back. They are missing, obviously, with Lindgren, one of their top two defensive players. Um, but, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Kraken are, you know, have quite the lead in the wild card right now. Not secured yet, but they're up five points pretty on the Jets. Got in the bag. But who's getting that second spot? And especially because. Calgary's playing Winnipeg tonight. Yeah, and those are the two teams that I want to talk about real quick, and I'll focus on Winnipeg, which is a team we talked about about a month and a half, maybe a little bit less well, they than were that. Well, they were in contention. We had some good things to say about them, and after they beat the Rangers 4-1 on February 20th, I credited Winnipeg, and I said, if you're the Rangers, that's okay. Winnipeg's one of the best teams in the NHL, and at the time, they were. <laughs> And since then, they've gone 8-10-2, and two, and their goaltending has been a problem, which has kind of been a theme across the NHL this entire season, unless you're, In, the, Bo- I mean, unless you're the Boston Bruins. Yeah. Um, and during, the Minnesota Wild. During those 12 losses, all but one of those 12 losses, they gave up uh, two or fewer goals, meaning they are giving up three, four, five, six, and it's hard to have the offense to put up with those consistently. Obviously, teams have outbursts. They put up five, six goals once every three or four games. But you cannot do that every single night. And um, Connor Hellebuck is totally capable of being one of the best goalies in the NHL. But he has not been one of the best over the last two months. And that has hurt them. And they're clinging to a two-point lead over Calgary right now. Yeah, they are tonight. you know, very much dying to win this game tonight. Winning this game need puts them in the perfect spot to get this to get this uh, you know second wild card spot right behind the Kraken. But... It's it's coming to be tight, and again, like you said, the inconsistency in goaltending could be a problem going into tonight's game. If Calgary wins, it could be a winner win you're in situation. Yeah. And Calgary's hot; they've won five yeah. of seven, and both of their two losses were by one goal. And so six right six there. three and one in their last ten. They did lose their last game, but again, they're in it. Uh, I do want to talk about too. I don't have this written down, but I just realized the central. All three teams sitting at 98 points, and the Avalanche, who we were criticizing like yeah. a month and a half ago, are sitting at the number one seed. Yeah, and last week, I think is when we were talking about it, and I picked Colorado to come out of that division after all of the ups and downs and the roller coasters. As, this, as did I as yeah, well. Yeah, this is exactly what you want, though. For the last four or five games as a hockey fan, Colorado still has six games to play, which is a huge advantage if you're all tied up there with 98 points apiece. Um we're both going to stick with Colorado through that. But that and, getting out of that division is going to be awesome. And especially, you know, Stan, Stanley Cup, you know, reigning Stanley Cup champs mm-hmm. coming back 8-2 and two in their last 10. I don't know if I just said that or not. But really going on a run here yeah. um, right when they need it the most, right before the playoffs, and getting that number one seed is going to be huge for them. Mm-hmm. The wild card in the East now, six teams fighting for it. Yeah, and it's sort of. It's, it's sort of. mathematically speaking yes. six. In reality, I think it's just three, and that is Florida, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh. And right now, Florida and the Islanders are the two spots. I think the Panthers end up getting that spot. 
despite this season being a total letdown. After Especially having, from last season winning the President's Trophy. Yeah. Everything going on. And it was a letdown when they got to the playoffs as well. But even bigger letdown this year. I do think that they end up getting that first spot. Right now, Pittsburgh um, is on the outside looking in behind the Islanders. But I will tell you that the Pittsburgh Penguins have not missed the playoffs since the 2005 to 2006 season. And I don't think that that ends. I think they leapfrog the Islanders. They don't play each other over these last couple of games. But I think they make up the one point needed. And they get it. And the Islanders get knocked out. The Islanders on a two-game losing streak. Uh, the Penguins losing last night. Going 4-6 and six in their last 10, the Penguins are. And also a minus-5 goal differential. However... I think, like you said, the Pittsburgh streak has just been going on way too long. I don't see them missing the playoffs this year. Um, and I don't really have much faith in the Islanders to hold that spot. I do think the Panthers hold on, but mm-hmm. it could could be detrimental for them in that first round. Yeah. It will be, I'm, I'm assuming, for both, of, for both of these teams. Playing Boston. Yeah. Good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go into the halftime hustle. I'm sorry for that weird pause right ah. there. Ah. But... Uh, we are going to start it out with Drip of the Week. And would you like to start this? Yeah, I, I love this Drip of the Week. My Drip of the Week is Dan Hurley. And not for any reason, <laughs> this is the UConn men's basketball coach. Nothing to do with what he wore oh, or, okay. the, or the throwing the fives up um, back when he was in Stories, Connecticut. And UConn had updated their billboard uh, to say, or the exit, to say that they won five national championships. Um, I'm referring to him as Drip of the Week for looking like Uncle Ian from Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I say this about every white guy who is bald and has glasses. And, and old. And, and old. old and middle-aged man in their 40s to 60s. Um, and as Uncle Ian once said to Dave, I never lose. And Dan Hurley I was, I was actually, never lost. I was, actually just about to, I was actually just about to say that if you didn't say it. You winning, know, I never winning, lose. Winning six games in a row to win the national championship. And my only request is, I said this to you and our friend Colin, I just wish Brian Desher was named Dave. So he could go line for line. I told you, Dave, I never lose. And then, and then um, I said, well, he was named Dave. The I wouldn't have been in his hey, name. Well, we go by David. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, it's David. Yeah. Call him Dave. <laughs> um, my drip of the week comes from the Masters. Uh, you know, every, this is a tradition. Every single year, the Masters champion from the previous year will send in, you know, the written invite to all, you know, in quotes, um, to all of the previous winners, and everyone is invited to the Masters dinner that happens every year. Um, they're all wearing their green jackets lined up in, in the Masters clubhouse. Um, it's just a very historic thing and awesome to see every single guy uh, be there. And there's a little joke this year because, you know, the tensions between the Live and the PGA, which I know mm-hmm. you, I don't know if you know the whole history behind bit. everything. Um, you know, you'd see Dustin Johnson in the top left. Uh, you know, he's a Live guy, but everyone seemed to be in, in good spirits last night at the, at the Masters Champions Dinner. I just love this picture because the way I associate the Masters is kind of with spring as someone who's not a huge golf guy. And this picture is just so aesthetically pleasing to look at with the green, the theme of the grass, and all of these uh, men having the bright colored ties. Most of them are wearing a white shirt, but there's a couple, there's a yellow, there's a there baby is, there blue. Is. But all the ties are like the flowers. Oh, I love it. And I mean, it's just like the green jacket is something so held high in yeah. sports it's one of the most prestigious things that you could get and uh seeing all of the guys in the history that have won it it's insane it's, it's wild now we're gonna go to our players of the week 
you like to start us, or do you want me to start us? Um, I'll, I'll keep it going, because I'm going to stick with UConn. Okay. And I'm, I'm from Connecticut. I grew up there, so I have a little bit of bias. And I just think it's so funny to me every now and then that the University of Connecticut is good at basketball. Like, I lived there for 10 years, and I'll tell you... You could have gone to UConn and... <laughs> and saved a lot of money and not yeah. come to Syracuse. But I just find it so funny that Connecticut has, like, nothing to offer. Like, it's not a large state. The school, like, it's a good school. It's not a bad school or anything. But it's just funny to me. They've won the most national championships of any school since 1999 in men's basketball. It cracks me up. Either way, my player of the week, Adama Sanogo, averaged 19-10-1 in the Final Four in championship. He was a force in the paint from both ends through the entire tournament, really. And he won most outstanding player for the Final Four. Um, I think he doesn't even have to declare for the NBA. He might come back. The concept of him coming yeah. back would really put UConn over the top. Um, it's hard to repeat, but you get Sonogo back. And you still have Queen coming off the bench. Ooh. It's a scary sight. It'll yeah. be a scary sight. Uh, my player of the week is Liam Hendricks. And it's not for anything that he's done performance-wise, because, of course, he was having a battle with cancer. But today, he finished up his chemotherapy. Um, and it was a long, hard-fought battle. He rang the bell today. Um, it was a victory for him, and certainly a victory that everyone in the sports world, everyone in the baseball world, everyone everywhere yeah. can honestly you know, applaud and root for and send all of their prayers and good spirits to him. It's right awesome. Now. There's nothing better than yeah. a story like that. Yeah. And you know, the, the rumors are he's supposed to return this year. Which would be crazy. Which would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go into the NFL. And there's under one month until the NFL draft. Yeah, we're a couple of weekends away from it. And I know you have been really, oh, I've been, I've really, been really grinding to this draft. I guess you've moved on from the college <laughs> basketball thing. You, you need a new passion. I did. I did. Um, my bracket was busted after Texas lost. Yeah. Um, so I was really just getting into all these mock drafts. You know, I've been scouting. Yeah, I've been looking fun. at. I've been looking at a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to crack the code on who the Jaguars are going to take, and we'll talk about that in a, in a hot second here. But I do want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals organization. Yeah, and Michael Bidwell, the owner of the team, Bidwell, excuse me, was accused of cheating, discrimination, and harassment by Terry McDonough, a former exec um, of the Arizona Cardinals. He is leading the charge in this. I don't. We don't even have that many details in terms of specifics regarding what exactly Michael Bidwell did. But what I will say that I think is a little fishy and cheesy, and we see a lot of teams do this from a PR perspective, is the Arizona Cardinals conveniently announced that they're going to be releasing new uniforms right before the NFL draft. And they announced that yeah. today. They announced yeah. it this morning, the day after this news of Bidwell came out. Now, I will say, as a uniform guy, I did know they were getting new uniforms, but I didn't know they had, hadn't had fully announced it yet. Yeah, it went fully public, but like, big reveal. Super, new super convenient yeah. when a, a big headline comes out about the team. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, these are all rumors right now, but as we say every time, don't, be a, don't be a dirt ball. <laughs> yeah, don't be a dirt ball. <laughs> don't, don't, thing. don't. Please with don't. All of these, uh, not even, I was going to say with all of these wealthy owners, because it seems to be very common with them but just as a human being don't be a dirt bag dirt yeah ball, no i i completely agree um with you you know with you stating the owners this also just brought was brought to my mind i saw a report earlier the washington commanders targeting a may 22nd sell-by date yeah 
which is good for me. Very no good. More dirt get them out. Get them out. <laughs> uh, we talked about that last week, but just wanted to throw quickly throw that in there. Um, we'll get into some draft stuff, and of course, like I said, I've been cracking down. Mm-hmm. Been looking at what the Jags I'll are going to do. I'll let you go here. What do they you got? just signed two O linemen mm-hmm. in the past two days. So, who are they taking? At 24 is the question. Well, of course... Answer it for me. What do you got? Of course, the answer is... It's all going to depend on who goes first. <laughs> like, I've you know, in the past few years, I haven't had to worry about who's going to yeah, get taken before the, the, before the pick because, you know, we have had the first Two overall... Straight, yeah, the first overall pick. Um, but I think I have this crack down all to right. a code. What do you got? So, I have three positions written down here. However... I don't think they go with the cornerback at 24 unless Joey Porter or Davon Witherspoon is there. Someone has to slide. Which means that most likely it's not going to happen because there's going to be two corners gone by then. Mm -hmm. They're not going to, you know, everyone's sliding. I don't think they take a cornerback. Now, safety, Brian Branch, if he slides, I think that is the pick. Okay. But he would be, so he would be listed as one. Tentatively, of course. Um, I've been looking at, you know, a lot of film. I was watching his film today. Um, he's a guy that, you know, I think could fit into the to, to the slot corner position. If you're going to play a lot of nickel, you could you could play that. Um, he'd work very nicely. He's a very speedy guy. Plays well, man to man. You need another guy that you could throw in into that secondary, especially looking at DBs. Um, however, you know, not a guarantee he's there. I think the next pick is actually a position that I didn't list, but is a D-tackle. Really? And that's Brian Brees. Really? Yes, I think, you know, Trayvon Walker constantly improving. They're expecting a big jump from him yeah, in, in year two. Yeah, that's what surprises me. I um, think they would go D-tackle. But I think I think that de- the, the defensive line, you know, just needs to get beefed up a little bit more. Um, I think it's safe. They were looking at bringing in Calais Campbell. Of course, he mm-hmm. ended up signing with the Falcons. Um, I think getting Brian Brees round one, you know, former Clemson teammate of Trevor Lawrence. I know it's obviously on the opposite side of the ball, but, uh, you know, still a very good pick. Now, of course, we go to You're tight end. What I think best, is best what, day ever what I you. think will happen. Now, what I hope will happen, and of course, I do have a little bit of bias on which, which player this would be, but uh, they lost both of their tight ends outside of Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. Chris Manhurts going to the Chiefs. Dan Arnold, still unsigned anywhere, you know, could potentially still come back. But I think tight end, they go Mike Mayer. Um, you know, a guy that we've seen sliding, uh, Utah's tight end. I can't Dalton remember. Kincaid. Yeah, I was going to say his name is slipping my mind. But, yes, um, has been climbing. He is now listed as the top tight end yeah. in the draft. Um, and I think that Mayer has a very high possibility of still being there at 24. So I think that that would be the pick bringing in a young guy that people have said is going to be dominant in the NFL or at least have a very good career in the NFL. Um, put him with a, a tight end who had a very good, very great season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, get him on your team and, you know, build up that tight end room again. Yeah. It's always good to have baby Gwonk. Yeah. The, yeah, of course. And, you know, as a Notre Dame fan, I would love it. Yeah, that's why you'd especially be excited about it all. Yeah, that Mike Mayer jersey would be ordered right after the draft. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Now I want to get into uh, you know your your favorite topic here. Hendon Hooker is climbing yes. the ladder right now. Yeah, and he's climbing the ladder of stupidity, in my opinion. And the guy's a good quarterback, most definitely. And had he not torn his ACL, he could have won the Heisman Trophy. I think he could have given yeah. Caleb Williams a run for his money. I think he even should have been invited to New York for the Heisman Trophy. Over Stetson Bennett, for sure. Despite tearing his ACL. And he'd be a first-round talent if we're watching just the film. But the two things that make him not a first-round talent, or not so much a first-round talent, but a first-round pick, is the fact that he's 25 years old. If he was 22, sure, throw a first-round pick at him. Not to mention torn ACL. And today's modern health, modern medicine, he's going to heal. The torn ACL isn't going to hold him back in any way. But I still think some teams are, are going to have bit, that in the back. They're a little bit of afraid, a little bit. And we saw it with, like, Tua in 2020, um, with his hip injury, injury and everything, and that's a different thing because the torn ACL is common, but it didn't it didn't scare Miami away, obviously. But especially the being twenty five years old thing, that's old. Like I know it doesn't seem that old, but we see guys who are getting their second contracts at age twenty five already, and they're still playing on their rookie deal, but they are signing that second one. I do think that he has a higher floor than Will Levis, most definitely. Hendon yeah. Hooker day one in there is going to be better than Will Levis. And I would borderline even say he could be better than Anthony Richardson, day one. I know a lot of people... Day, dis- day one, yes. I know day one, yes. a large chunk of people might disagree with that, but I do think that very much so. Hooker, you just throw him in that offense. Like, you put him in a simple offense like New England, for example. Not We're going to talk about them in a second. But Hooker would be better, day one, than Anthony, Anthony Richardson. That being said, both of those prospects have a way higher ceiling, and we don't like Will Levis. A lot of people don't. I'm like gonna say Will I don't Levis. know if I'd say I. I but in Levis terms of okay, ceiling, potential-wise, the potential is much higher than Hooker. Hooker has a lower ceiling but a higher floor. I cannot see any team spending a first-round pick on him. I think he'd be a great second-round pick. First, I hate the idea of what I, I'm seeing in my drafts. I also, I mean, I don't see, I don't see a team going for a first-round pick to take Hendon Hooker, especially with the ACL injury. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, his age. You know, everything you have mentioned, I, I completely agree with. However, I do think you can list him higher than Levis just simply from what we've seen from both of them in the same conference, in the yeah. same play. I think listed on a draft board, I would put him higher than Will Levis. I think in terms but of... But I, I don't think either are first-round talent. I think in terms of like talent wise, right now Levis is not even close to a first round talent, and he has no. No, but being people people talent. are saying he's a top ten pick. Is what I'm saying. They're saying that just because of what could be. Yeah. Which we've seen time and time again, and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen pretty much ruined the entire NFL, and we're a bunch of nobodies, and we don't see as many teams take the bait, except for the New York Jets with Zach Wilson. But all we care about is the arm talent thing. I hate pro days. I hate combines. I have said this before. I think they're good for interviews and measurements, I guess, because I like to see who has the same size hands as me and who am I taller than. Um, but I care about the film. When I watch the film, Hendon Hooker is a better quarterback than Will Levis. Yeah, for sure. Right now. For sure. Long term, who knows? But regardless, I don't want him to be a first-round pick at 25 years old. I don't like it. No, I, I don't I don't think it's going to happen, though. I, you know, Again, we don't know anything still. We really don't. But we'll see. We're far away. Uh, you mentioned New England. We can talk yeah. about the rumors that are rising from that locker room. Per se, you know, people have, all these GMs have denied it. But uh, I guess they've been, again, rumors, calling around about Mac Jones. Intentions are rising between Mac and Bill Belichick. Yeah. Do you buy it? 
No. I don't and either, but... <laughs> Bill Belichick, in particular, would never let anything get out of the locker room of what was going on. And we tried to... Not we, but a lot of people tried to make a big deal out of the Mac Jones being benched against the Chicago Bears and Bailey Zappi comes in. That was a huge topic of discussion, and Mac was annoyed about it, whatever. When... Well, I mean, it, I'd be. It turned al- out, according to a lot of people within the building of New England, he wasn't fully that healthy. That Mac wasn't yeah. healthy. Well, he it also it, that game was a bit interesting to me because I wouldn't so much as be frustrated with my, uh, you know, my coaches, everything like that. Um, again, still injured. Uh, you know, you don't. You're not gonna really put it into perspective, but. Also, just like the fans at that game, I, oh, I want to talk about awful. Yeah, it was the first two drives of the game, and they were chanting Zappy, they were chanting Bailey. Like, why? Mac Jones proved a year ago. Well, to the playoffs. I would. I shouldn't say he proved he was a franchise guy because he didn't have a, a solid year. You know, the year a year later, um, but he still proved to be a solid quarterback for your franchise and you're going to boom off the field was, on a Monday night game he was a when he's injured. He was a playoff quarterback in his very first year, which is yeah. a really, really hard thing to do. People don't talk it's about very rookie difficult. quarterback, rookie quarterback. And he also was playoffs. top three in, in uh, rookie of the year voting. And he was even a pro bowler. Yeah. An alternate, but yeah. he was still a pro bowler. Um, I think he's a bunch of fruit. Well, let's talk about... Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who could be joining this team very soon. He took a visit to Boston, came out, and he said that he would like being there in the next few months. Yeah, and I think New England will definitely go wide receiver, and we're going to talk about the three best, according to 98% of the population um, right after this. But with a player saying a nice thing about a team, they're always going to say a nice thing. Especially if the team is paying. If if you're getting a meal paid for you, Wally, yeah. would you compliment the person that paid the meal, paid I mean, for the meal for you? I mean, if the food was good. Or, <laughs> like, the only reason I wouldn't do that is if I was Eli Manning in 2004. You yeah. know? Um, I don't put, a much, put much stock into it. Jackson Smith and Jigba said the same thing when he was asked by um, the press about the New York Giants. He said he would want to play in New York. So I don't think it means a whole lot. I do think that New England is a very trendy pick to take Smith and Jigba, though. That would make a lot of sense. I All right, well, let's talk about it now. The top three wide receivers, Jordan Addison, Quinn Johnson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who goes first, and to add a little bit of spice, where are they going? Where are they going? Oh, I got to look at the NFL draft order <laughs> before I do that. I will say... Well, you, well you, could, you, could tell me, you could tell me the order you think, and then we'll, we'll evaluate. Okay. In my opinion... I don't think this is what and happens. And we, we were actually talking about this yesterday, yes, too, though. I in do my opinion, say. I don't think this is what happens, but my personal opinion, I would take Jordan Addison as the first wide receiver. And I do that largely because of his versatility outside and in the slot. And Smith and Jigba can play on the outside, very much so, but he's more of a slot guy. That is his designated thing. He plays in the slot much more than um, the other two. And I take Addison over Johnston as well, who, again, is a trendy pick. A lot of people like his size. They like his traits, all of the attributes, all that stupid stuff. I don't think being a big receiver means anything anymore in today's NFL. If you look at the best receivers who are in the NFL, gone are the days of the 6'5", 210, high point the ball. Nobody cares about the goal line fade anymore. You don't need that. That's not how modern NFL offense Well, it's work. also just your quarterback runs a lot more anymore. Like, you have the scrambling in the backfield. You don't, you don't need a big guy like that. Yeah, not at all. Um, I, I, I 
I agree exactly with the order. And like I said, we had talked about this yesterday. And I said if it was up to me, I'd take Addison first because of his versatility. Smith and Jigba second, and then uh, Johnson third. Now, where do you? Th- now that we're looking at the order, do you have projections on where you think they're going to go? I think Smith and Jigba ends up being the first one taken, and I think he goes to Houston at twelve. New England. I want them to go with Addison or Johnson, but for some reason I feel that they are riding the Smith and Jigba or bust, and they wouldn't take either of them. And you look further down the line, and that wide receiver, there are a lot of teams that could be interested in one. You look at, I don't even know where you want to start, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Washington. They already have plenty of weapons. Why not throw in more? Um, like if in Jigba, Smith and Jigba slides to 16, pair up the Ohio State guys, or even a trio now. You have Curtis Samuel, you have Terry McLaurin. Um, you can look at Seattle, throw a receiver there. Baltimore, the list goes on. Like Beginning at pick 12 up to the Giants at 25, and as a Giants fan, I want one of those three to fall, and I don't think that they will. I think they're going to end up with a Zay Flowers if they end up getting a receiver. Who's been climbing, by the way, as well. Yeah, um, and I think by the time... The draft comes around in three weeks. People could have Zay Flowers above Quinton Johnson. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't bat an eye at it. I would not question it. The 12, 12 through 25, though, all three of those receivers, I have no clue, but I think the board starts changing at 12 with Houston. I'm going to extend it a little bit. I think they go – I think Smith and Jigba goes to the Titans at 11. Really? I do. All right. I do. I think the Titans go wide receiver. Okay. Um, and then at 12, I think that's I think, I think we, I think we see receiver back-to-back. Um, I think we see Addison taken at 12. And I think um, you could even see three out of four Yeah, with New England there yeah. at 14. Yeah, and then, again, I am with you on, on the, the Patriots really going Smith and Jigba or, or just completely, you know, mm-hmm. throwing it out and going with a whole other uh, position uh, rather than a wide receiver. Um, but I think we see Smith and Jigba get taken at 11 uh, yeah. for the Titans, you know, considering the weakness of their wide receiver room. I mean – they have some weaknesses everywhere right now, but I yeah. think that their wide receiver room needs a, a bit of help. And we've seen, you know, wide receivers like Jamar Chase. I mean, that, you know, it's a, kind of a bad example because the wide receiver room wasn't as bad. But, you know, Drake London even going into uh, Atlanta and, like, really dominating you that just room. Need one. Yeah, you really do need a guy. And, you know, I don't think Traylon Burks is is a guy that's really going to change. Not yet. Yeah, the Titans. Um, So I think they're looking for another one. Uh, Going to the NBA, the East playoff play-in teams are set. We're just trying to figure out the order now. Yeah, and the one that I'm going to focus on, obviously, because I'm a Knicks fan, they're locked in. And I believe that this is the only matchup so far that is fully locked in. And that is Knicks versus Cavs in round one. The Knicks won the season series three to one. I'm very excited about this. What I want to say about the NBA playoffs, though, is the division system is so weird to me because you look at the Knicks and you look at um, the Atlantic. Five, all five teams are in the playoffs, including the plan, and four out of the five are not even in the plan. They make up six. They make up six of the spots. Um, and then you look at the Southwest, or um, or my mistake, the Atlantic. Um, wait, no, no, it is the Atlantic. And the Southwest uh, has two teams that are in the field of 10, and neither of them are in the top six, and that's Miami and Atlanta. Just the way the division works are so funny to me because those are the teams you play the most, and it looks you have to feel good if you're an Atlantic team and you're playing strong division opponents throughout the entire year. You have to feel good about it. Well, certainly. And, uh, you know, the only team, I think 
all of those teams are going to make it outside of... No, the Raptors are in the play-in, so all of those teams will be in because the Nets are going to make it. It's just a matter of if they're in the play-in yeah. or, the, or, or the actual playoffs. Um, and we've, I mean, like you said, we're, we're looking divisional-wise, but I really don't even... I don't think I could have told you how they're spread out in the division, even yeah. as a Sixers fan. Like, yeah. I could have told you they're in the same division as the Knicks and the Celtics. Um, I probably could have guessed the Raptors, but, like, <laughs> they, they mean again, nothing. it's, yeah, it's, it, it's weird. Um, I'm hoping the Nets stay at the sixth spot as a Sixers fan because it's you. looking like the Sixers are going to get the three. So uh, I'd like to see them. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's, pretty mon- a pretty monumental year playoff wise because we can look at the western conference and see a team like the sacramento kings getting their first playoff berth since 2006 also i'd like to say now the the team the franchise that has the longest playoff drought in all of sports is the new york jets is it it is when they or i guess they're what 2009 oh they might have made it no 2010. it was, it was like, yeah, but they're still the longest. Now, yeah. Yeah, I now. Guess they were. Yeah. Hmm. That's not that bad, though. 2010. No, but uh, the Sacramento Kings also become, like, the... F- I think it's... They were, the f- like, the first team to be the largest underdog to win their they division. Were, they are the uh, biggest preseason odds to win their division since at least yeah. 2010. Yeah. Among all four major sports. Can you imagine putting money on that? Well, I mean, you're a psycho if you put money on the Sacramento Kings to win that division in uh, back in October, even November. Um, Mike Brown is the coach of the year, though. The Sacramento oh, Kings. certainly. There no, is no, no there's gonna, no doubt that... Yeah. No one's going to discuss that. They He has done a phenomenal job with that team, and a lot of people question them when they traded away Tyrese Halliburton, someone who thought they were... A lot of people, que- a a lot of people question them when they signed... Well, I shouldn't say question them fully because obviously Mike Brown being on the staff underneath Steve Kerr mm-hmm. um, at the Warriors, uh, you know, very dominant franchise, of course. But they kind of questioned his ability to be a head coach yeah. um, rather than uh, the, the signing overall. And what he's been able to do with this team, bringing in DeMontis Sabonis, making him a pretty dominant player. De'Aaron Fox mm-hmm. as well. Kevin Herter being added to this lineup. Um a very like they're a very weird team but such a fun team to root for i'd love to see them make a run in the playoffs i don't know if we'll see it because of the inexperience but i mean sabonis has been in a playoff before i yeah, think he's been it. in one at least yeah, one series he's been in, yeah been in a series um, with indiana so i mean I, I hope to see a pretty pretty solid run by this team maybe maybe win a series or two um but again I think it all comes down to the fact that the Suns are just rolling right now. Yeah. And we might see a nice first-round matchup from them, <clears throat> LeBron and KD <clears throat> matching up. There's a 33% chance of that happening right now, it says, is is what ESPN's forecast, uh, yeah, forecast says. Because ESPN's percentages are always correct. Yeah. I, I trust all of their metrics uh, every <laughs> single year. Yeah, Phoenix is at the four seed right now. They've won six in a row. They're playing their best basketball of the year. Um, and the Lakers are sitting at the seven right now, half a game out of that five from Golden State. I think Golden State stays put at the five. I think it would be an awesome storyline. That's exactly what the NBA wants of Lakers versus Suns in the first round. I don't think we get that, though, unfortunately. But again, if ESPN says 33%, they're ha- they're half a game back. If you're if you're the weirdo who picked the Sacramento Kings to win the division, maybe you take take that bet. Thirty three percent. Thirty three percent. That's good odds. Yeah, that's good odds. Better odds than the Kings winning. <laughs> uh, well, 
I mean, we've been talking about the West, but still certainly wild, and the Mavericks are currently on pace to miss the playoffs. Yeah, a week later, and they're still on the outside looking in. They haven't made any progress. And, I think, And Chet is one game closer to returning. Yeah. <laughs> the team that I am impressed by, though, is the New Orleans Pelicans. And both of us, we wrote them off. Well, we really ago. did. And, and I kind of wrote them off. I, I, I always talk about how like I was never a big Zion fan in college, of course, because mm-hmm. he went to Duke, but now I am because of the dominance he has on court and how many people write him off. Well, again, you kind of have to write him off considering he only plays about 30 games a year yeah. at this point. I think he's averaging like 28 and a half since he's entered the league, which is pretty sad. But um, being able to hold your ground with him out, I'm pretty sure Brandon Ingram missed a lot of time. Yes, he did. Um and being able to get back into a play-in spot. Because they were out. Maybe we could – I mean, I'm hoping we see Zion in the playoffs or Sweet. at least in this playoff, play-in game next something. week if they if they keep that spot. Um, we need something. I need Zion action. We haven't seen it for like f- five months. So You know what we really need? We need a Zion Chet one game plan. That would be Oklahoma amazing. City no, 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 no. A, a one on one <laughs> <laughs> to play yourselves in yeah. to the playoffs. Just to play, I guess it would probably be Denver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the MVP race as we talk about every single week at this yeah. point. And I'm going to ask you a question here. I already have it written down. Did Joel Embiid just secure his MVP award after after dropping 52 on the Celtics? Might I add? exactly half of the points from the Sixers last night. Yeah, that's pretty valuable. <laughs> and my answer is yes. And I think Jokic can still win MVP. I know a lot of people would be upset by that for a second consecutive year. No one really doubted it two years ago. But yes, I think Embiid has secured it, depending on as long as Jokic does not drop like 60, 30, 20 in the next four, five straight games, however many games are left in the season. Um, I picked him as my preseason MVP, Joel Embiid, and I, I think he's got it. I'd be surprised uh, if he didn't. I'm a bit mad at myself. I, I, tr- I should have just picked Who him. Who did you pick? I think I picked Kawhi, but he didn't. Uh. He also didn't fully play. Uh. <laughs> um, Joel Embiid leading the league in scoring, shooting 54% from the field, 32% from three, averaging a double-double. Um, I mean dominance from him on the court this year. Oh, yeah, dominance from the, dominance from him on the court back to back years. I mean, 3 3 years in a row. Of course, the the 2 years ago, you know, missing a lot of times, so you couldn't really put him in the in the conversation, but um this year if he doesn't win, I'm rioting. I don't I care. Think a lot of I'm rioting. Are. I think a lot of people Um are. I think he he really does deserve it. Uh and I hope I really hope that we see him have a very solid run in the playoffs last year, uh, you know, facing injury and the year before that facing injury. One year. One year, please. Mm-hmm. Please. Give him a I'm praying to the injury gods right now. <laughs> please just let him play his game. Well, and I want to see it. I want to see the Knicks Sixers Eastern Conference Final. It's going to be an amazing, amazing <laughs> Eastern Conference Final. <clears throat> well, with that being said, Wally, while the people are watching the Masters this weekend, while the people are waiting for the NBA NHL playoffs, still, I mean, this is like the third week in a row we're talking about the, the playoff race heating up, mm-hmm. um, counting down to the NFL draft, where can they find us? You can hit us up at Sports on Instagram, at Sling underscore sports on Twitter, the number one way to know 
when new episodes come out, there's some sweet graphics explaining what type of content is going on in each and every episode. Great graphics, great content. Please get onto our socials. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.